Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Monday, February 7th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Western powers are still trying to figure out how to deal with Russia. International aid agencies say all the money the West is pouring into Afghanistan won't help many people unless there are financial reforms as well. Plus, we're going to examine the UK's migrant crisis. Yeah, it's very hard. I miss everything in Afghanistan. We must come here because here is a little bit safe. In the first of our three-part series, we'll hear from refugees in northern France who are desperately waiting to find a way across the English Channel. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. There is a frenzy of diplomacy this week aimed at de-escalating tensions with Russia. French President Emmanuel Macron plans to visit his Russian counterpart Vladimir Putin today. Meanwhile, European and U.S. officials are working on a backup plan in case Russia cuts off gas to the EU. That could be Russia's response to Western sanctions if Moscow invades Ukraine. The FD reports that the EU could have a tough time getting all 27 member states on board with sanctions, though. The bloc relies heavily on Russia for energy, and some member states, like Italy and Austria, have especially strong business ties to Russia. Western cash is starting to flow into Afghanistan to stem a growing humanitarian crisis. But international aid agencies warn that the money won't help much without reforms that make sure the funds get to ordinary people. Aid agencies are urging Western governments to release frozen Afghan central bank reserves. They say this would restore interbank lending and foreign exchange transactions and help revive the country's banks. They also want the unblocking of donor funds locked up by the World Bank. That would help the broader economy. An estimated 3.5 million Afghans have been forced to leave their homes in order to survive. A migrant crisis is further poisoning relations between the UK and France. French President Macron recently said the UK's immigration policy encourages people to risk their lives by crossing the English Channel from France. Here's the response from Britain's Home Secretary, Priti Patel. Macron's comments are wrong. They're absolutely wrong. So let me be very, very clear about that. Patel is the face of the UK's efforts to address the crisis. British lawmakers are reaching for harsh measures to deter migrants Even though the number of refugees arriving in the UK has remained steady, the number of people coming by boat has risen dramatically. Last year, 30,000 people took the perilous journey across the channel, triple the number of the previous year. The news briefing is going to explore the UK's migrant crisis in a series of reports. We'll start in northern France. The FT's Anna Grasse went to a refugee camp near Calais to meet some of the people waiting to get to the other side of the channel. She joins me now. Hi, Anna. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. So, Anna, you went to one of these camps and, you know, we're going to post a few of the pictures that you sent us to our Twitter account at FT News Briefing. And these pictures, they they show, you know, red and blue tents and tarps clustered along a railway track next to a forest. For you, you know, what did you see when you were there? What was it like? Um, It's pretty chaotic. There are people milling around. There's a lot of people in a very small bit of space. Because it was so cold, there were several fires that had been made. It wasn't easy to make fire because the logs were so wet uh, from the rain. But but there would be people constantly trying to make fire. And on those fires, they'd be um, boiling milk or cooking some food that they'd um, gotten hold of. 
because it had been raining so much, people's clothes and the tents themselves were, were really wet. So there were people walking around with wet shoes and clothes and didn't have any option to kind of get dry. What were some of the people like? I, I know that you met one young man from Afghanistan named Abu Bakr. Um, here's some of what he told you. I lost my way. By two months I'm here. It's very hard. I'm just alone. Yeah, it's very hard. I missed everything in Afghanistan. We had everything. We must come here because here is a little bit safe. He left his family in Afghanistan in the summer when the Taliban um, took over. And from Pakistan, he went to Iran, then to Turkey, and then finally he made it to France. Here's no work, no job in France. We all know. I saw the Paris. A lot of Afghan guys from other countries, many of them, they are living on the street. So I understand you talked to quite an age of uh, age range of people there. Yeah, so this is um, a little girl that, that we met. Her name was Diva. Very, very appropriate. Yeah, she just really wanted the mic the whole time. Um, and this girl, Diva, was really attached to this woman called Bakhan. She's 28 years old uh, and from Kurdistan. Uh, but uh, there are two parties there, two political parties. They have controlled everything and everyone there. If you are not with them, maybe one day someone will come and kill you without having any reason. Uh, just like uh, one of our neighbors. So Bakhan uh, said she got a visa to visit France, but she, she didn't want to stay in France. She was really keen to get to the UK. We have some, about some families there, and our English is better than <laughs> friends learning a new language is really difficult. We just want to go study there, continue our life there. So Anna, can you give me some context? You know, this number of people who are trying to get into the UK, how does this compare to numbers of refugees trying to get to other European countries? The UK receives about a third as many asylum applications as Germany per year, um, and fewer than half the number than in France. Even Spain takes more refugees than the UK. The reality is that fewer displaced people want to go to the UK, or at least manage to get to the UK. But we do tend to attract migrants from certain countries, specifically Kurdistan, um, Iraq, Iran. Yeah, Iran. Uh, so tell me a little bit about Ali, who you met at the camp and is actually from there. He's 24 and uh, he was with his father, both of them trying to get to the UK. He'd already been there for close to a month when I met him. And he seemed uh, really frustrated. Hook, they gave us small food. I used to eat three times in the day. No, I don't eat once in the day. Ali's situation was really different to, to anyone else that I'd met at the camp because he'd actually spent the last six years uh, in Denmark with his father, his mother and his sisters. Um, and they all were at a similar camp there and applied for asylum in Denmark. And while his mother and sisters were granted asylum, um, Ali and his father were denied it. Yeah, they playing with us. Six years, what the hell? Six years you lived there? Yeah, I was in near to college, go to the study. The... So Denmark rejected Ali's asylum application. Why didn't he just try for another country in the European Union? But since Brexit, the UK is no longer party to an EU law called the Dublin Regulation. 
That regulation allows refugees to apply for asylum in the first country deemed safe that they set foot in. Um, Otherwise, they have to wait 18 months without the right to work before they can apply again. Uh, They can't apply anywhere else in the EU. So if I understand this correctly, because the UK is no longer in the EU, it means Ali can go to the UK and get a second chance at asylum? Yeah, if he goes to the UK, he can start again um, and apply for asylum immediately. So that's, that's what he's hoping for. So if these people in the camp make it to the UK, what's next for them, Anna? So once they get to UK shores, which is usually around Kent, uh, they'll likely be taken to hotels or other accommodation while their asylum application is processed. Um, that process is supposed to take uh, roughly six months. In that time, they aren't allowed to work. So they often kind of sit around um, hoping that it's successful and that they can make a new start in the UK. Anna Gross is a reporter for the FT. Thank you, Anna. Thanks a lot. Tomorrow in the second part of our series, we'll hear from writer Horatio Clare. He went to the town of Dover to find out more about the migrants and to hear how local residents view the people arriving on their shores. It makes no more sense to be for it or against it than it does to be for or against the weather. And the people of Dover, particularly one lifeboat coxswain, he said we are the interface with the continent. It's like that's what it is here. It's war, refugees, that's what it's like. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.